There are lots of podcasts, but so many of them do not feature the voices and stories of young Black women and other young women of color. Please check out Bring Your Own Chair, a unique perspective podcast hosted by Karaya Muhammad-Smith. You can find Bring Your Own Chair on iTunes and Spotify. Greetings, everyone. Welcome back to T, the Educational Architect. I'm Moor Salata, your host. And in this episode, my conversation continues with the following guest. My name is Azizi Jasper. Um, I am a, an esteemed former student of Ms. Muhammad, of course. Uh, I'm a spoken word artist, um, recently a published author. I'm really excited about my book. It's entitled Prose: The Poetic Musings of a Kidnapped African. Um, available at barnesandnoble.com. Uh, I'm also a social worker and a campaign, political campaign strategist. gotten a lot better now that I'm older of documenting my journey and the book was a really important piece to that puzzle like it was really important and it's the weight off my shoulders now and I'm actually working on my second book which is a book all about like love and like relationships and those you know sorts of poems because COINTELPROSE is my angry black man fist in the air what we got to do as the people to stick it to the man type poetry and there's something you had to do before you get to the love I understand I did I did it, it, it only made sense but now that I've you know gotten all of my you know angst out which also is love now I'm going to the love, you know. I know a lot of people that probably don't want to just get beaten over the head with a bunch of like propaganda as far as like, you know, what we got to do is people will be happy that my other book isn't quite so heavy. Well, I have to say that it may be part of our experiences being citizens in America. I know I was at a residency with Ishmael Reed. So mm. I was one of the poets learning from Ishmael Reed. And there was this poet who's from Puerto Rico. She was the only person not from, you know, U.S. proper, because we know mm -hmm. Puerto Rico, they trying to figure mm -hmm. out is it is, is it ain't, whatever. But you know, Trump doesn't think so. I know. But him and thinking, but we digress. <laughs> <laughs> Just in general. But she challenged us, like all the, the American poets. She was like, because we would come and share our work. And she mm -hmm. said, um, do y'all not ever write about love? And we were all mm. like, dang, we just got called out. And I actually didn't. And I'm like, well, no, I don't. <laughs> but that was a challenge. I took that as a challenge. And I was like, why? It was so hard, Z, for me to create mm. two poems. But it pushed me to say, what are those barriers? What are the experiences that I've had in America as a Black woman, mm -hmm. as an American of African and I recently found out Irish American descent, you know, because, <laughs> you know, Ancestry.com will, it will either verify or give you some new family stories. Yes. So for yeah. me, it verified a family story. I'm like, oh, well, I guess that family story is right. I'd be interested in seeing your breakdown. I did it too. So we need to like, <laughs> we need to share that. I have some Irish in me too, like a very small little bit, like 4%. Yeah. Like okay. So, and it's okay to digress here because it's part about, you know, this 
being humans and how do we express that? I mean, so I forgot how we got or, this. Or your ex, or your ex communicated. <laughs> oh, I know how we yeah. got here. We were talking about your book. That's why I'm recording this because I literally can go back and actually find yeah. out how we got this far <laughs> off track. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I don't know where, I don't know how. Yeah, we got from my book to ancestry to like. Yeah. Oh, I know, love, because we we're talking love. about you, mm. you're going to write um, this, this next collection that you're working on. And because I choose to interpret that story, it was a love story. It's a tragic love story because, mm -hmm. but she had to give up a child for various reasons. So, mm -hmm. and you know, mm -hmm. love ain't always, it does not always forever after and then work out, you know, love, you have to make some hard choices sometimes. <laughs> I've been divorced three times and I've never been married. So I'll tell you. <laughs> gonna say what <laughs> but you know a breakup can feel like a divorce even if you're not married so that's what I mean by that but uh but yeah. I know I <laughs> just get the middle man let's just go straight to the divorce just like, like I don't even know how we got to that I'm like okay now we're back to his book now is your book because you know you go to Wikipedia which I I don't hate on Wikipedia mm -hmm. Cointel Pro yeah so is your book at all Talking about all these, you know, conspiracies and such things, is, is, it, is it at all related to that stuff? Yeah, strangely enough, not as directly as the title would suggest. <laughs> it's uh, good. You know, COINTEL, you know, PRO, uh, well, for those who don't know, was the, the government program implemented by the CIA um, and the FBI had certain, you know, parts in it as well. It's short for counterintelligence program. And it was essentially what was used to infiltrate so many progressive organizations and individuals of the past. So everybody from the, you know, the Communist Party to Dr. King to, you know, Malcolm X to the the, the uh, Panthers and, you know, really everybody in between. It was a program that the CIA used to infiltrate these progressive groups with agents and spies. And it was a program of disinformation and sending confusing messages and pitting people against each other and, you know, that sort of thing. So I'm going to say then, just wanted to make that connection, but it is mm -hmm. basically disrupting diverse challenging ways of thinking that you know the government didn't want so that whole diversity of thought or diversity of educational thought is mm -hmm. a threat to mm -hmm. any kind of establishment so absolutely absolutely yeah and that's that's kind of you know and of course prose is you know poetry right so you put the two together and it's you know as you said it's it's just to it's to disrupt thought it's to disrupt the general conversation it's to you know disrupt the train of thought that you know so many of us have it's a collection of really political and really you know pointed poetry that just has to do with the you know the black existence in america so it's, it's kind of a play on words and it's kind of a, a reappropriation of you know a negative term it's almost how we uh, well some of us argue you know the the n-word or whatever well we're reclaiming that we're gonna put our own flip on it well it's kind of me doing that with, with COINTELPRO, something that has been used to decimate, you know, so many of the, of the productive and progressive organizations within the Black community. And it's putting, it's, it's reappropriating that into, you know, language that is beneficial to our progression. Yeah, I appreciate, I appreciate it. The, the bit I know about the counterintelligence program, but also you had me at pros. 
was like, this is awesome. Mm. I, <laughs> I still waiting for my copy to show up. I can't wait. It is <laughs> in the mail. It is in the mail. It's in the cloud. It's somewhere between hither and tither, but it is on its way. So what are your plans from this point? Uh, yeah. What do you plan? I know you said you're working on another book, but are we going to, mm-hmm. do you plan on having any virtual events or even around the current text? Yeah, I've been, so I've been trying to figure that out in the day and age of COVID, how best to promote myself because traditional wisdom of spoken word artist says, well, just get on stage and then push your book that way. But since uh, no stage is open outside of the South, man, I was in Tampa. Thanks for listening to The Educational Architect. We will return after this brief break. Traditional wisdom of spoken word artist says, well, just get on stage and then push your book that way. But since uh, no stage is open, outside of the South, man, I was in Tampa. I, I was in Tampa. This is such a rabbit hole. It doesn't even need to be gone down. But they don't believe COVID exists down there. So I'm just so glad to have come back. I visited my dad in his memory care facility and they gave me the COVID test. And I'm like, I have my toes crossed, everything. And I tested negative, but man, they are wilding in Florida. But anyway. That is relevant because it's just like, <laughs> you know, there's very different ways people are engaging in something that seems to be awfully concrete, a reality that we're living in. Mm-hmm. And that's a different kind of, <laughs> depending on what state you go to. Yes, I'm glad you're okay. I'm glad you're fine. You made it in and out of me too. It like you made it in and out of Florida, like we're talking about Compton in the 80s or something, or Detroit when we were the murder capital. I can say that because we were Detroit. But yes, yes. I, what, did, what happened? I made it in and out of Florida without testing positive. <laughs> without testing positive, man. Like, and I went during the Super Bowl week. It was for a meeting with with like a really important person. I was like, this is kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity sort of thing. So I'm gonna risk my health to meet with Damon John, who was the founder of FUBU. Okay. Who himself didn't go and sent his assistant. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm out here risking my health for your second in charge. And it was a productive conversation. And yeah, we're working on, we're going to be working on some things. So, but to answer your question, I am working on another book. My love poems is going to be called Verb Apples. I'll explain the title at another time. Yeah, it's going to be love poems. And then I'm also working on a children's book, which I'm really, really, really excited about. Like that, the the title is not, you know, releasing the title yet, but I'm just really excited about it. It's turning out great. I'm partnering with an illustrator that's like a good friend of mine, and I'm really excited for where that's going. So that's my, my bucket list for the year. I'll have a children's book by the end of the year. That sounds great. I guess you just got to get the first book done. And then you're like, hey, you know, we were saying earlier, like the students who made the 90 day, you need to see I did something and you can build on that. I was so surprised when I got my first book in the mail and I know I wrote it and I know (laughs) that I sent out for it. But when I got it, I'm like, oh, my God, this is really this is all I had to do this whole time. This is what Miss Mom was talking about this whole time. So then then I now I'm just going to follow in your footsteps and get Mm -hmm. mine done. (laughs) yeah as we wrap up i want to appreciate your time and i look forward to seeing what you're going to do you've been on you know different sides you've been that student you've been that teacher and earlier you said like i can identify with all these roles now and especially now there's the landscape of how people are learning especially in k-12 especially you know i'm not sure what and you're not either like how they worked the fact that they couldn't be together 
during the, you know, COVID time at Kibulan Village. So just given your experience, what do you, do you have any advice or any, do you see what you think we might be going towards or doing to actually help? Do you have no idea? I ask everybody. So see if we find an answer. (laughs) Right. I know that you can't replace like tangible in-person education. Like there's no replacement for that. You know, Zoom, you know, helps and, you know, Skype, if anyone still uses that, you know, helps. But at the end of the day, you can't really replace that. I fear that we are going to be faced with a generation of young adults that is somehow more socially awkward than this generation who's always on the phone. Because, you know, it's one thing, it's difficult enough to try to get teenagers in particular to focus with all of these devices and, you know, that we're constantly tethered to. The worst thing that could happen to one of my students is me taking their phones. And they know they're not supposed to be on the phone for the 90 minutes that they're in there, but you see them, you know, peeking down and they have cut out in their book or whatever with the phone shape that they can fit there for all types of, man, it's amazing. That was a, it's like, a real wow. thing? Somebody actually yes. had that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's their imagination making this up, not mine. So it's going to be challenging because I fear that the socialization process, which to me is, you know, 50% of the of the school experience is just going to be lost. And for people that already aren't necessarily that verbally social because they're on phones or they're on their computer or they're on their tablets all the time, it's only going to be exacerbated by not being able to go to class. So I really super apprehensive about, you know, the vaccine. I have not been vaccinated. My mom hasn't been vaccinated. I really don't trust it, but I'm really hopeful that we as a society somehow figure out how to get past this to be able to interact with each other the way that we were before. But the short answer to your question, Mrs. Mohammed, I have absolutely no clue as to what that looks like and where we're going. Yeah, I'm going to agree because after thinking about the population of our youth that you dealt with, even getting them to switch their brains to use their technology for learning, that's a whole, Mm because they're using it for fun. And even to be switch their brains to use it for learning. And then on top of that, having to have access to the technology like 24 seven for fun and learning. Many of them just don't have that level of access because you really can't learn much on a phone. You can have fun on the phone. Mm-hmm. imagine like if the things you had to do with your students and all they had you know away from you was a mm-hmm. telephone like oh so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah we may have to challenge our history and make sure that you know Fauci and them are being extremely transparent mm-hmm. because the type of learning for various populations and especially for disenfranchised populations like black and mm-hmm. brown and poor mm-hmm. kids requires a person to be there in yep. somehow that's it's hard to express your it's already hard to express our humanity in person but then Mm -hmm. we're gonna put it even what you and i are doing synchronously is something Mm -hmm. but there's just so many distractions in the background like you know i Mm -hmm. have one here and it's just me Mm -hmm. yeah i just you know sent a call to voicemail while you know being on here we either have to figure out how to get back together or we have to figure out computers that don't utilize the social aspects of the internet that are just solely for you know for research the whatever the computer equivalent to an encyclopedia britannica you know would be because you know it's difficult enough i i've been in so many you know students faces where i have to like literally like be like hey focus focus right here like right here and that doesn't translate well over 
a screen. So it's like, how do I, as an educator, compete with world star hip hop and, you know, these, you know, Bossip or whatever, you know, site. You don't, you, know, you lose. Are on. They win every time. <laughs> you lose. But I think that we're going to have, we're going to have a generation of socially awkward, you know, young people, but we're also going to have a generation of young people that is more computer illiterate than, uh, computer literate, excuse me, than ever before. Trying to teach them how to, how to maximize their time while they're online. Try to teach them how to, the, the good thing about the internet is it's a parallel universe to our actual, actual world. So everything that happens in real life society can happen on there from bullying to viruses, to stalking, like it all happens, like just like it does in real life. So I'm, I do think that those who are able to have a good work-life balance and have a good education, fun balance in real life, that's going to translate online as well. But we do need to be in intentional to make sure that we're bringing everybody along with us because we know as society, we have to work, we have to look out for the lowest common denominator because it ends up affecting us all. Like everybody in, in an establishment has on mask except for one person. And that one person has COVID. That means that everybody in the establishment is susceptible. So same thing with literacy, same thing with education. You know, you can't just bring, you know, 79 people on board and miss one person if that one person has the ability to slow down the other 79 people so we just have to figure out a way as a society to bring everybody with us including our lowest lowest common denominator yes and i'm gonna i agree with you and thank you because what i what i heard you say you know we are even if you don't want to be part of the collective you are if you exist you walk mm -hmm. inside as you are part of that collective and making sure that you were talking about, you know, being, having a generation that will maybe more computer literate than ever, but that's mm -hmm. going to require, we have different fill in the blanks now, like the, the mm -hmm. educational blanks we had to fill before COVID when people could show up, when our students could show up, mm -hmm. we have a, these additional technological access fill mm -hmm. in the blanks and mm -hmm. not necessarily all of us teachers are ready for it. Cause we feeling mm -hmm. quite blanked out ourselves. We're like, Oh, I don't, how do you I unmute? <laughs> you know, yes, yes, yes. Oh, man. Your teachers Everybody's all in struggling. your face like I don't know who I really feel bad for are the older educators that that were the paper and pen you know folk that aren't on the computer really like that at all like there's there's such a I'm sure that a lot of elder educators are retiring because of the learning curve yes and that also that I know we're winding now but that brings in another gap because when people exit they take with them a whole lot of knowledge because yes. they're like I don't got I don't have time for this I don't really need to learn mm -hmm. this but everything about some of the other things you mentioned like how mm -hmm. to be present how to relate all that's gone with them gone. and then yeah so there's some things like we can invite our students. We can invite those skills. We know they know how to click. First of all, I know students know how to click way faster than they ever think. And that's just asking, could you stop clicking mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and think mm -hmm. about what you're doing, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. invite them into the conversation? Because if you don't know how Zoom works, if you don't know how this, that you one of them, they do. Now you Definitely. got six, now you got six assistants. Yes, <laughs> yes, yep. I, I can teach you this, but you show me how to log in so I can teach you this. <laughs> there you go. We have a new way of collaborating and establishing each other's humanity through what they know about technology and what you, mm -hmm. and what we know about the learning and figuring out how we mm -hmm. can bring that together. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how the younger person is. I mean, within reason, 
the more computer savvy they tend to be. It's like super intuitive for young people. And like, even me, I mean, I'm not like old, but like, I find myself, I can't tell you how many times a student helped me figure something out on my phone or helped me upload something or not like it, it, they just naturally know how to do it. So like there is room for everybody to learn regardless of what our, you know, respective position is. And I think that that also helps humanize educators when I can come to a student and be like, hey, man, I don't get this. Can you help me out? It makes everybody a little bit more practical to everybody. And on that, I think we're going to end this. Thank you so much. I really, really, really appreciate you as always. You know that, Mrs. Muhammad. And I appreciate any time that we have to, you know, sit down and converse about, you know, what whatever topic it is at the moment. I love speaking with you and I'm just so glad to, you know, have been to have had you as such an integral part of my, you know, educational journey because you you truly are, you know, just an amazing human being and a great professor. And I love what you're doing with this platform. I'm always, I always have your back with anything that oh, uh, you. You, you, you might need assistance on or you might want to, you know, bounce off of somebody. And um, I just, I thank you for, for your time always. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Tea. We welcome you back for future episodes. I'm Moore Salata Mohammed, your host and producer. The music you heard at the start of this episode was composed by Kasira Mohammed Smith. And until next time, Sumam Bonum and Ubuntu.